Sunday nights 50 years ago at the Baptist church that I grew up in. Thank you for coming with me. I hope you'll be blessed. Open your Bibles again, please, to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 will be our text this morning. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Some versions, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I'd like to quote two eminent 19th century preachers to introduce our well-known text this morning. J.C. Ryle said that there are few texts more striking than this in all the Bible. Few that contain so wide and sweeping an invitation. Few that hold out so full and comfortable a promise as, come unto me and I will give you rest. Charles Spurgeon preached at least 12 sermons on Matthew 12, 11, rather, 28 through 30, and yet he claimed that it would be impossible to ever preach it too often. He said, There are mines, M I N E S, there are mines of instruction here. Even superficially read, this royal promise has cheered and encouraged many tens of thousands. But there's a wealth in it which the diligent digger and miner shall alone discover. Its shallows are cool and refreshing for the lambs, but in its depths are pearls for which we can hope to dive. So come with me now, fellow lambs, for just a few minutes as we wade just into the shallows and we're going to see three obvious but life-changing truths we're going to see an audience we're going to see an invitation and we're going to see the heart the self-described heart of our savior an audience that has a deep pressing urgent need they are spiritually, in their souls, weary, exhausted, depleted from their fruitless spiritual labors. We would say their toils. They're weary from the futility of trying to bear up under the impossibly heavy burdens, laden, loaded, upon their backs and Jesus knowing their need initiates he makes an invitation that promises deep comprehensive and immediate relief remedy for their need 
his single invitation comes in three parts, we'll see. And it's a very personal invitation. Look at verse 28, come to me. Verse 29, take my yoke and learn from me. And Jesus, his offer, his promise is also a personal one in that he says, I will give you rest. What kind of rest? Verse 29, rest for your souls. That is spiritual rest for spiritual weariness and unbearable burden. And Jesus is the perfect person to make this invitation and promise. In fact, Jesus is the only person in the universe, in all of history, who can make this invitation and can deliver on this promise because you know what this rest is. This rest is eternal salvation. And there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved but the name of Jesus. The only Savior, the spotless Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He is God in the flesh. The resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life who came to seek and to save the lost who came to seek and to save and to give rest to the weary and burdened. Jesus, the inviter, not only died to provide this salvation and rest, but Jesus himself is our salvation and rest. And before we revisit these three obvious markers in the text, let me just take a moment and make sure that we're all tracking with the metaphor or the word picture theme that Jesus is using here in these three verses. Jesus very often used physical, visible, relatable, earthly, human concepts. In this case, an agrarian farm and field metaphor. To illustrate and convey heavenly, invisible, spiritual truths. And the yoke is really the key to understanding this metaphor that Jesus is using. Now, you know what a yoke is, a wooden harness of sorts that, that would link together two oxen so that they would pull together in a single direction, and behind them, they will pull a burden or a load, perhaps a plow, in my mind, I'm imagining a cart. 
being pulled and being filled by being pulled by the oxen and being filled by the farmer with rocks and boulders, perhaps to be cleared from his field. I'm not going to show you, but if you went Old Testament and New, and wherever the word yoke is used as a metaphor in Scripture, the yoke always signifies bondage or slavery. So we use our, our New Testament understanding to, to fill in the details that we can about this passage and about what's going on here and what Jesus is trying to convey. So in the case of the original Jewish audience of Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, who are weary and burdened, we know that they are yoked and in bondage as all men are to their sins. Romans 6 and so many other places that were slaves of sin and our sinful nature. And they are pulling an unpullable burden of trying to be accepted by God through their good works by adherence to the law of God. Galatians 3.10 says, But all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So they carry this burden of curse. And then they add the additional burden of loaded extra rules and regulations created for them by their religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees. In Matthew 23, verse 4, Jesus is, is condemning the scribes and Pharisees for, for their hypocrisy, and he says that they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. And the picture we have then here in Matthew 11 is of people yoked to the cruel, destructive, hell-bound slavery of their sin, pulling a load of cursed, doomed, failed attempts to be good enough, to be holy enough, to earn their own salvation, to earn their own rest. And I see in my mind, in this word picture, a fully loaded, heavy cart of burdens pointing uphill with broken wheels, sinking in mud, even in quicksand. Will anyone be able to come to Christ and find rest? Who will come? To Christ. To whom exactly is Jesus calling? In your Bible, if you'll glance up or over in Matthew 11, verses 20, 24, 20 through 24, we're not going to read them, but what you will read there is that Jesus has just gotten done traveling through Galatia 
not Galatia, Galilee, to towns there, and he's been preaching repentance. He's been calling men and women to faith and repentance. No converts that we can tell. In fact, Jesus is pronouncing woe and judgment to Chorazin, to Bethsaida, to Capernaum, and says, because you saw my miracles, and because you rejected the call to come to me, it'd be better if you were Sodom and Gomorrah in the time of judgment. And then verses that we read right before verses 28 through 30, 25 through 27, Jesus prays out loud so all can hear. And he says, thank you, Father, for hiding the call from some, the so-called wise and intelligent, and revealing it to others, the not-so-wise, the not-so-intelligent, even little children. And then right before verse 28, Jesus says that no one can know God, no one can hear His voice, but those whom the Father and the Son reveal. Do you remember what we read in John 6 earlier? Who can come to Christ? Who will come to Christ? Do you remember? Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. No one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And all that the Father gives me will come to me. So when Jesus called throughout the towns of Capernaum and Bethsaida and throughout the region there in Galilee, that is what theologians would would call the the general or universal call to salvation. Here, now, it appears in verses 28 through 30, Jesus is going to make what, again, theologians would call an effectual, irresistible call. This is the call that if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior personally. This is the call that you have heard. And this is the call that you have followed. More about the invitation. So each of these three parts, come to me, take my yoke, learn of me, are grammatically similar in that they all are imperatives commands but in tone they're not the stern or harsh commands or demands of a military superior to his inferior rather coming as they are from self-described gentle lowly-hearted humble servant savior jesus They're more like an invitation, a summons, a call. Perhaps more like a mother or father seeing their child hurting, crying, frustrated, 
unable to accomplish something. Come here, sweetie. Let me hug you. Let me help you. Let me teach you. Because I know what you're going through. And I want to make it all right. Back to the text. Verse 28. Come to me. Jesus said. As to time, now. As to direction, to me. Not to a church, not to a creed or a denomination or a doctrinal position or to an altar, not to a preacher or a pastor, but to Christ Himself. And we come by God's sovereign grace and drawing alone. We come by faith in Christ alone. We bring nothing with us when we come except our own sin. And even the little word to me is full of truth. Christ could have used any number of prepositions to say to me, but he chose one. In the Greek, it's the word pros. And I remember my college Greek professor saying that pros is the the preposition that means face-to-face, up close, personal, intimate. And when we come to Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, we know everything changes. You were blind, but now you see. You were lost, but now you're found. And remarkably, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you're alive. Jesus says, I've smashed your old yoke. I've banished your old master. I've broken your chains, and I've made you free to take a new and radically different yoke and a new and radically different master. Take my yoke now. It will unite you to me forever. You in me and I in you, yoked together. And get this, my yoke is easy. It's a non-yoke, in fact. Easy literally means kind, winsome, delightful, helpful, empowering. Jesus says, I'll take the lead. 
heaven-bound, and you will follow me, and I will teach you everything you need to know for life and godliness and rest. Learn from me. For, he continues, the little Greek word hoti, there's a purpose, there's a reason that he can make this call and he can make this promise and he can give a yoke that's easy and he can teach and he can walk alongside actually in front of you. He said, for, I want to teach you this First and foremost about me. I want, you to, I want to teach you everything there is to know about me, but let me teach you this first. I am gentle. Christ didn't sound so gentle when he pronounced woe and judgment on the cities who rejected him. But to those he's calling, he said, I want you to know that I'm gentle, I'm meek, mild of disposition. I'm not a self-assertive or self-interested. I came to save and love you and give you rest. And, gentle, I'm lowly in heart. This is the only time in the New Testament where Jesus speaks about his perfect human heart his perfect sinless human nature the seat of his innermost being who he is in his passion and affections towards those he loves to those he calls he uses the word lowly often translated humble Literally, the word lowly means just barely rising off the ground. It's used of talking about a low degree or a low estate of a servant, a slave, a peasant, just like those he came to save. So this Jesus who calls the sovereign of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, the Messiah, the king, who is the king of all kings, who is the Lord of all lords, whose name is above every name, being in the form of God, he humbled himself. He made himself low and became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. And he insists that those he invites to come to him, to take his yoke, to learn from him, know that he is also gentle and lowly-hearted, and that they will find rest. We have found rest for our souls. Rest. Often used as a metaphor in Scripture, 
It's the cessation of work or effort. It's a gift of God to His people. It is rescue and relief and refreshment. There's an entire chapter, Hebrews chapter 4, that is dedicated to this topic. Rest in Scripture. It is salvation itself. And salvation, rest, is a regenerating new heart, new life rest. It's a reconciling peace with God rest. It is a redeeming, my debt is paid, my burden is lifted rest. It's an atoning, forgiving, blotting out of my offenses rest. It's a justifying, imputed righteousness, indwelling of the Spirit and Son, adopting, now I'm God's child, complete with an internal inheritance kind of rest. It's complete. It's instantaneous. It is eternally safe and secure. It's sealed by the Spirit of God. It is a heavenly rest. It is our position forever in Christ. So have you come to Christ? Really, fully, to Jesus Christ by faith alone? Have you trusted Him? Who He is, what He has done alone, apart from any good or any deserving merit on your own? Have you taken His yoke? Have you devoted yourself to following Him as your kind and loving Lord and Master? Are you His disciple, a follower, a learner, a practitioner of all He teaches and requires? And if not, then today will you hear His voice, come to me? Because now is the day of salvation. Tomorrow, even tonight, could be a day of death and woe and eternal judgment. Why, oh why, would you wait if you hear the voice of Jesus calling, oh sinner, come home. Many, maybe even most, in this room, we've come in the past once to Christ. As a sinner lost and dead in our trespasses and sins, we've come to Christ. We've taken His yoke. We've learned from Him. But are you like Paul? Certainly like me? Where you realize that your new heart lives within a still unfinished old man. And the right that we want to do, we can't always do it. And the sin we don't want to do, well, sometimes, too often, we do. You ever wearied by that? Is that ever a burden? Your own sin and struggles? Besetting sins? 
Or perhaps sometimes, like the Galatians, we find ourselves going back to the law, to rules and do's and don'ts, and try to please God on our own terms and our own power and our own flesh. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, Hey, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore. Don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Or chapter 3, verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected or sanctified by the flesh? Do you ever still find yourself weary and burdened by your own sin and struggles with your flesh? Or do you ever just feel weighted down and burdened and wearied by living in this sin-stained world where Jesus promised that we would have trouble? That we would suffer, have pain and sorrow, grief and loss, disease and decay. That we'd be lied to, cheated, betrayed, even persecuted, perhaps martyred for our faith. You ever weary or burdened because you're married or because you're not married? Because you're too old or too young? Or you have too many kids or you don't have any kids or whatever it is. You got the wrong job, you got no job. You ever burdened, worried that you might see war and violence and plague, famine? Jesus says salvation rest is not only heavenly and positional, but salvation rest, sanctifying rest, is earthly to be experienced day by day, moment by moment, face to face with our gentle, lowly-hearted Savior. And I think in all the time that I've spent on this passage, I think the most encouraging thing that I'm just starting to learn is found in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Would you open there, please, as we close? So I was looking to to learn more about the heart of Jesus. We don't think a lot about Jesus as being our high priest, our mediator, our representative, our go-between, ourselves and, and God. But Jesus is our high priest. And the writer says in verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I think that means we do have a high priest who is absolutely able to sympathize with our weaknesses. That is an absolutely remarkable statement and one that is 
even proven by the last half of this verse, but we have one, this high priest, who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, twice he emphasizes the the same respect, the same way, and yet without sin, really. So, So the temptations of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that I experienced, that you experienced, Jesus? Really? Yes, and more. And for you, I don't know, on a scale of 1 to 10 on the temptation scale, I know for me, I often fall at about a 1 or 2. Jesus was tempted by the master tempter-in-chief, Lucifer himself. And he was tempted on a 10 by 10 scale and at every level yet without sin. Jesus knows temptation. Jesus knows what you need in your weaknesses, in your temptations. And He's made a way in the Scriptures always for escape. What about suffering? What about persecution? What about denial and betrayal and mocking? Being spit upon? Being crucified? Jesus can sympathize, sympatheo, suffer together with, feel together with you, commiserate with you, be compassionate to you, empathetic to you, because He, not just in His omniscience as God, but in His humanity, with His human perfect heart, He knows your weaknesses. He knows your weariness. He knows your burdens. And His invitation and His offer and His promise remains. Come to Me. Take My yoke. Learn from Me. And you will experience rest. And you know what? If you're Laodicea and you're neither hot nor cold, I love those who are mine. I will rebuke them. I will chastise them. I will discipline them. But behold, to them, to us, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open the door, I will come into you and sup with you and you with me. Jesus is a Savior. He is a Lord. He is a Master who is not angry with you, Christian. He's not waiting to crush you in your sin and in your weakness. 
He's not counting like I used to think when I was a kid that he was seven times 70. He would forgive me 490 times. And I did the math and I was afraid I was over the limit. That's not Jesus. He's a loving Savior. Yes, He'll discipline. Yes, He'll correct. Like a parent does. Like a loving father does. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near. Let us then with confidence come to Jesus. To the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, grace, and help in our time of need when we're weary, when we're burdened. He will give us rest for our souls. You pray with me? Father, thank you for such a Savior. Thank you that we can boast, but not in of ourselves, but about the cross of Jesus Christ. An emblem, a symbol of suffering and shame and guilt and punishment foolishness and offense to the world, but for us, a constant reminder of our substitute, of our rest, of our victory in Christ. God, feed us now with the bread and the cup to your glory We pray in Jesus' name, amen.